We've heard that sorry is the hardest word to say in the English language. It probably isn't, but when apologies are made publicly, they certainly aren't easy. A public apology can change the narrative around any controversy, for better or worse. But to understand these crucial moments for celebrities, politicians, and corporations, we have to look inward. How do we know what warrants an apology? I'm Edward Sturm. I'm Izzy Amoruso. And this is Duality. Every week we bring you two stories and a conversation about them. This week on Duality, I'm Sorry. OB Tampons provided the kind of apology that took responsibility and broadened support. Why couldn't Bill Clinton figure it out? Ego has gotten in the way of all kinds of high-profile apologies, but it doesn't just happen on a national scale. All right. In 2010, the Johnson & Johnson brand OB Tampons experienced issues stocking their product due to temporary supply interruption. The OB brand has an emphasis on environmental sustainability. They have very minimal packaging and don't have any sort of applicator, unlike other tampon brands. During the shortage, OB's extremely loyal customers cleared the remaining product off the shelves and started looking for other ways to buy their products, under the impression that OB was discontinuing their tampon line called Ultra, which was actually the company's initial plan. People began selling boxes on sites like eBay for more than $100. Some people even made fan websites and called for all other OB customers to boycott the other Johnson & Johnson products until the company restocked their OB products. The company quickly took notice and posted a statement on their Canadian and U.S. websites that they were developing plans to bring their Ultra products back. The message read, In case you questioned it, we're really, really, really sorry that you were not able to find our products earlier this year. You've also shown us how much you love OB Ultra, and we're sorry we discontinued it. We stand corrected. In the meantime, OB created a technologically sophisticated and highly personalized apology in the form of an online music video. Viewers were able to input their names, and the video would serenade them personally while their names were written in the sky inside a heart tattoo on the pianist's arm and spelled out in rose petals on the beach. The company wanted to thank all their customers individually for their support, and in a way that was interactive. At the end of the video, they also offered free coupons for OB products. The apology was sent to over 70,000 women, and after 10 days, it had around 600,000 views on their website. It is a great video. It is a great video. The video is still online if you are interested in watching it. The response was received very well by the customers because the company took complete responsibility for taking their product off the market, and they took action by bringing their product back to stores. They also provided compensation to their users with the coupon, and shifted their own corporate plans to make sure that their customers remained happy. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, A a company definitely has a clear incentive to handle a controversy or or anything like that well. Um, And and so do politicians. They have to get elected. Uh, (laughs) But politicians, on the other hand, are awful at apologizing. Uh, So I have the story, or uh, rather a couple stories, of two 
political apologies. One very famous uh, and one less so, but I find it kind of amusing. So, um, but 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 to our to our primary story here in January of 1998, Bill Clinton had testified at a deposition about his relationship with Monica Lewinsky, saying famously, "I did not have sexual relations with that woman." But by August, it had become increasingly clear that that was not true. Uh, and so he addressed the public in a four-minute speech uh, in August of 1998. Uh, and it was the type of apology that did not include the words sorry or apology anywhere. What he said was, quote, it constituted a critical lapse in judgment. And while it did, um, that was not really what the American people wanted to hear, um, especially from a president who purported to speak to the to the common man. Uh, there was an analysis of the speech that I I, I find interesting. Of the uh, 549 words in the speech, here, here is here is how how this this uh, critic broke it down. Uh, total words devoted to self justification, 134. Total words devoted to taking responsibility, 92. All right. Total words devoted to regret for actions, four. Oh. Total words devoted to attack on prosecutor, 180. Total words devoted to time to move on theme, 137. And total words devoted to apology, none. Oh my god. So, so yeah, I mean, it's... That, that uh, analysis was echoed by a lot of different people saying that, you know, the vast majority of the speech was self-serving and, and really not what everybody wanted to hear. I, one quote that I found kind of funny was um, in uh, a Texas statesman who, whose, whose comment was, President Clinton's shake-and-bake apology to the American people last night fell far short of what the country deserved after a truly sordid day in U.S. history. And that, that was sort of the, the critique at the time. The speech did not cut it. Uh, that December, he was, of course, impeached um, before being eventually acquitted in the Senate. Uh, and, and although public opinion wasn't as unfavorable toward him uh, by the time that the whole rigmarole of impeachment was over, the controversy certainly did not go away with that speech in August of 1998. And this isn't to say that a great apology at that moment would have would have saved him the trouble for the next um, six months. Uh, it, it would not have. Um but the one he gave certainly didn't do him very much good. Uh, but political apologies happen all the time. I mean, we, we see them in, in present day for all sorts of different things. They are often rough. Um, sometimes you get politicians like Donald Trump who don't ever find it necessary to apologize, even for things far worse than Bill Clinton's affair. Uh, or you get apologies like the president of the Philippines, Rodrigo Duterte. Um, in 2016, he was facing scrutiny from the U.S. and others about the thousands of citizens who had been killed as part of his crackdown on drugs, which is kind of separate, but is a, a legitimate criticism and still ongoing. Um, but he made an ad hominem attack on uh, President Obama, calling him a, a son of a bitch. And his apology was something along the lines of, I regret the trouble this may have caused. <laughs> So, so really, not not hitting any of the marks of a good apology. Not we're not we're not taking responsibility. We're not um, expressing regret. We are not um, offering any sort of um, path forward. Um, he did give a better apology once Obama left office, but the man is wild. Um, he 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 also called the U.S. ambassador to the Philippines a gay son of a whore. Uh, he never apologized for that one. He, he he said some some pretty 
other other frightful things to other global diplomats and his his relationship with apologies is uh tenuous at best another example of a a poor apology this one coming from pop culture is the one given by logan paul who is a youtuber known for his reckless stunts and pranks in his daily vlogs and he gave this apology after he posted a video from his trip to japan in which he visited the Aokigahara Forest, which is also known as the Suicide Forest. And in the video, he and his group of friends found the body of an apparent suicide victim hanging from a tree. And Logan looked surprised and began nervously laughing, saying he had never seen a dead person before. And the video he uploaded included footage of the body. Soon after the video was posted, YouTube came out and said that it violated the site's policies. The backlash was pretty immediate and widespread with suicide prevention groups stating that the video was harmful and many celebrities and former fans calling for Logan Paul to be banned from YouTube. His first attempt at an apology was on Twitter, where he said that his goal was to raise awareness for suicide and suicide prevention in the video. He wrote, Dear Internet, where do I begin? Let's start with this. I'm sorry. This is a first for me. I've never faced criticism like this before because I've never made a mistake like this before. I'm surrounded by good people and believe I make good decisions, but I'm still a human being. I can be wrong. I didn't do it for views. I get views. Oh, that's rough. Yeah, I would say so. He goes on to explain how he believed that the video would make a positive ripple on the internet, although I'm not sure that there was any possibility of that outcome. Fans quickly became frustrated, particularly because his initial apology was to the internet and didn't address how his actions could have negatively impacted the victim's family or those who are struggling with suicidal thoughts. People were also upset because a good portion of his apology seemed self-gratifying. Yeah, he's all like, I- I've, never, I've never been in this situation before. I'm like, okay, sure. He mentioned over and over again how large his influence was, how hard he was working, and how good of a person he was. But where's the part where he takes responsibility for his actions and their broadly negative impact? After his Twitter apology seemed to backfire in- invariably, he uploaded a video to his YouTube channel where he apologized and said, This was not how he planned on ending 2017. He then went on to encourage viewers to subscribe to his channel. So... Yeah, that didn't work out well in his favor. Yeah, so so it's it's interesting looking at um, and and Logan Paul gave us actually maybe even a little bit more to work with, Um, but. You, you know, you, you look at the, the Bill Clinton apology and, and Duterte um, and then also Logan Paul. And, and I think that there are a lot of different elements of a negative apology, you know, <laughs> something that's going to get a widely negative response. One, of course, I think is just that like emotional manipulation aspect of it. The whole like, like, I'm sorry that you feel this way. Yeah. Exactly, and then and then uh, I think more more commonly that you see from politicians is the the diverting of responsibility, and, and you also saw it for, um, from Logan Paul to some extent. But of the, I mean, that's that's Bill Clinton blaming the prosecutor. That's uh, you know saying like I'm not I'm not making excuses, but and then proceeding to make excuses. Another issue with Logan Paul's apology was a different form of emotional manipulation in which he tried to divert attention from the situation 
by looking as though he was almost on the brink of tears and highlighting his struggle and how difficult the situation was for him. He also made excuses and then went on to state that he wasn't making excuses, as you mentioned, and much of his audience felt as though the apology was disingenuous because the words he used in the apology, which, if you watch the video, was clearly scripted, were not in his authentic voice. They weren't words he would usually use when he speaks. He and his brother, Jake Paul, who is also a YouTuber who's faced controversy for his actions, they made a video discussing how they have certain sociopathic and and narcissistic tendencies that don't lend themselves to being emotionally responsive or having a high emotional quotient in terms of predicting what the response will be to their content. Huh. That that is interesting. And I I guess they have a point to some extent that narcissistic characteristics and traits are going to make you worse at apologies. Um, but I, I also, when you were, when you were talking about the whole shifting, the, the diversion of responsibility and, and to some extent being emotionally manipulative in this whole idea of like, look how this is affecting me. I think of, um, Brett Kavanaugh's, uh, Senate confirmation hearing in which he, he's, he's railing about how, how this has affected him and his family with, with, uh, not the same regard for uh, its effect on um, Christine Blasey Ford in this instance, or or even uh, look at the the statement that uh, we were talking about this last week uh, that, that Brock Turner gave uh, after his uh, the incident with uh, or after his rape of Chanel Miller, wherein he's talking about how this has ruined his life and his chances when that strategy is is just not what anybody wants to hear when you have, when you've done something that's, that is so, so awful. A lot of this is rooted in the fact that the people whose behavior is being apologized for may feel as though their actions were justified and, and that they're not sure why people are reacting to the situation in the way that they are. And they may feel as though their actions reflect on their value as a person if their actions were indeed wrong. Yeah, I think that goes along with this theme of moral absolutism that we've been talking about all season. When you screw up at a a national level the way Bill Clinton did, there's not a lot of doubt as to what the nature of an apology should be. It can still be difficult. Egos can get in the way, all of that sort of thing. But good apologies are much easier to do when everyone is on the same page as to what is right and wrong. A lot of the time, though, we we aren't on the same page, and there isn't a mutual understanding of what boundaries exist and and what is and is not appropriate. We run into this issue in interpersonal relationships all all the time. In our lives, there are moments where we should apologize but don't, or, or that we should get an apology and we don't. That's just part of life. We've talked a lot about the qualities of a good apology, but another point that is worth interrogating is what warrants an apology? A lot of times that is the more difficult question, particularly on a personal level. So much of what drives apologies is the emotional reaction of another person. Uh, but, But that strategy is kind of fraught. I mean, just because someone isn't hurt by something that you do, or maybe just that that person doesn't make those feelings clear to you, um, if you were manipulative or rude or did something that you regret, an apology is still necessary. Alternatively, there are times that someone may have an emotional response, but that doesn't mean an apology is warranted. You could have a situation where a girl tells a boy no, and he gets mad because he feels some sort of entitlement. 
she doesn't owe him an apology for asserting herself, even if his ego gets hurt in the process. You shouldn't have to apologize for taking up space, having an emotional reaction, or, or putting yourself first. It becomes a balancing act of being perceptive to when you've crossed a boundary or have legitimately hurt someone, but also valuing yourself and your needs. That's a great point. And this isn't to say that an emotional reaction from another person isn't an essential indicator for when an apology is necessary. I, that, that's the function of sensitivity. In the same way that there are things that we say to our friends that we would never say to a person we've just met, we understand that some actions are not intrinsically right or wrong, but rather they depend on the circumstance. Uh, part of what I think our conversation has led me to is that you can't make an exact value judgment on an action. Uh, to look at just an action in a vacuum falls into the same fallacy that uh, the moral absolutism does. Uh, there has to be some duality between having values for yourself and making those kind of decisions, but also being sensitive to how somebody else is going to receive those things. Exactly. We may believe wholeheartedly that our actions are justified, but... Most of the time, that's not what's important, because a person's reaction to your actions is also justified. We need to be responsive to how what we're saying and, and what we're doing will affect others, and, and not let our apologies be characterized by whether we thought we were right or wrong. There are situations in which you could have been doing something that you perceived as morally right, and you still have to give an apology because of what the reaction to the situation was, or because of the way you went about taking the action. Actions themselves can have unintended consequences or reactions, and it's still important to be understanding and willing to look at the situation through someone else's perspective to see why they're reacting in that way. This is where we see people's egos getting in the way of apologizing or giving an apology that is empathetic to the situation of the affected party. Someone getting upset doesn't characterize your actions as innately right or wrong, so we need to stop perceiving others' emotions as a value judgment on ourselves. There are times when the actions we take are immoral. But the real duality comes when we have to balance two perspectives. We can't act like our moral justification of our actions negates someone else's response. OB taking their product off the shelves wasn't in and of itself a bad or immoral thing, but they apologized because the reaction of their customers was justified. I think we can all learn a lesson from them and their response. Thanks for listening to Duality. Next week, we'll discuss the historic Baki Supreme Court case and the current controversy over Asian American applications to Harvard. How do college admissions factor into conversations about racism in America? Additionally, it is essential to maintain the ongoing conversation about the Black Lives Matter movement. Again, this week we have included resources for education and activism in the description. If you've enjoyed Duality, let us know. Engage with us on social media and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.